Hey, thanks, Michael. It is great to see you guys today. I don't know if you know this, but uh, this weekend we had our RCC Women's Retreat. And so Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we had 43 women get to go out to North Georgia (coughs) and just seek the Lord. (coughs) I was at home with a sick child, if you couldn't tell. And so um, as they did that, it was an amazing weekend. And so women, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for what God did this weekend. And we want to be a church that continues to be a part of how God is moving in you because we value you and we're thankful for you. We also want to say thank you to Libby Chalk and her team. I know you guys don't want recognition, but you're going to get it. Um, You guys did an amazing job and put so much work into making this a time where you truly serve the women of our church and put them in a place to hear from the Lord and seek healing and connection and restoration and next steps. So women, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for serving one another. So grateful that you are here and a part of our family. Second uh, family update I want to give you. This past weekend, um, past week, Brick Carley is one of our elders. Um, He and I got to sit down and have a Zoom call with one of our oldest mission partners, and that's the Palos Movement, which is a, a network of churches planting churches in Hungary. And so as we did that, we got to hear a little bit from them that I wanted to share with you. The Dios Church, I think I'm saying that right. Sometimes they listen. I'm sorry if that's not the way you say that. But the Dios Church is the oldest oldest church in the network. Um, It is on the outskirts of Budapest. They are actually currently looking for a new lead pastor. And so as we think about what it means to partner with people, this is a great opportunity for us to pray along with our brothers and sisters in Hungary that God would shepherd them through that time, that God would help them to see who this person is, and that he would sustain their flock in the middle of that search. We just went through that. And so for us to be able to walk alongside brothers and sisters in Christ that are a few steps behind a similar process that we went to is a very powerful opportunity. And so if you would, continue just to keep them in your thoughts and prayers this week. Go online, check out what they're doing. We, we genuinely love these people. It was wonderful to talk to them. Hey, as we continue, I'm going to do a hard transition into our sermon series, this this series on the Lord's Prayer. We have been in this time where as a church we focused on what it looks like to pray like our lives depend on it. We're in a season where we believe that God has called us to be a people that really work at our prayer lives. And so Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, and we've looked at what it means to model the way that Jesus prayed. This week, specifically, we're going to talk about when you have to pray like your life depends on it. Have you been in a time of crisis? Can you think of a time in your life where it is obvious that the only way out is for God to do a miracle? Um, For me, one of those times was in middle school. Why do those stories, by the way, always start with when I was in middle school, I was in the time of crisis. If you're in middle school, listen, it does get better. (laughs) Gets better. Um, So I was in middle school. I was on a church retreat. I was in sixth grade. So I was the youngest middle school, um, youngest possible person on this retreat. Uh, It was at Grace Covenant Church in Austin, Texas. And we went away to somewhere in central Texas that was beautiful. And we had to all share rooms. And so in these rooms, we were in multiple beds, multiple people to a bed. And so it was four kids to a room, two kids to a bed. And um, man, when you're in middle school, you really want to be cool and be accepted, right? Like it's just, I think we always want that, but there's something about that time that presses on those insecurities in a very unique way. And I'm, I'm in this bed and I wake up one morning and this wasn't a total shock to me, but it was, it was very embarrassing because this is just a part of how God's wired me. Um, I woke up and, and the bed was, was soaked. 
okay? Um, the sprinklers didn't go off overhead, but they could have. Um, I have the world's smallest bladder. And with another middle school student next to me, this was like damage the mattress, lose your security deposit bad accident that I had in the bed. And I'm laying there and I'm like, oh no, this is the most embarrassing thing that can happen to a middle school student. If the kid next to me realizes that he needs a life jacket, if the other kids in the room realize what happened, it's not gonna stay in that room, right? It's gonna get out and I'm gonna be the bed one. I already had glasses, I like Star Trek. Like I already was in a position of vulnerability as a middle schooler. Now I've committed this like unpardonable sin of wetting the bed on a retreat as a teenager. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. There's, I, I can't fake this. Like, what do you do in that situation? You can't act surprised. Like, who did this? Like, there's only two of us. <laughs> it obviously wasn't the guy who's dry, okay? There's no way out. It's obvious what happened. I'm like, God, you gotta help me. I don't know what to do. Those are the times when we talk about praying like our life depends on it. We have those feelings of, I don't know what to do. I'm in a time of crisis. God, you have to get me out of this because I am out of ideas. When we talk about praying like our lives depend on it, those are the types of feelings where I think we simultaneously are quickest to pray, but also quickest to doubt. Because we're in this really vulnerable situation with God. We're like, look, God, you have to come through, but what if you don't? How do I know you're gonna come through? I'm almost scared to pray because what is that gonna teach me about who you are if this doesn't go the way that I think it should, right? Um, sidebar, I did sneak out and go find the college staff and like, I need you guys to help me. They came in clean, it was okay. I think it still got out, you know, but it was a, we minimized the scandal, if you will. But um, just the moment of sheer terror I felt upon waking up in a puddle is probably not unlike some of the spaces we find ourselves in as adults, right? And I don't know, like there's so many different places that put us in this position of trial. Maybe it's um, finances, maybe it's job, maybe it's parenting your kids, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it is just culture and what do I do? Maybe it's a life decision of I don't career-wise understand how to navigate this. Maybe there's illness in your family. There are so many places that the brokenness of the world presses in on us and puts us at this point where the only hope that we have is for God to do a miracle. So what do we do with that? <clears throat> This is the kind of prayer that Jesus is gonna talk about in this section of the Lord's Prayer. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna start in Luke, then we're gonna be in John chapter 10, okay? So Jesus, in his teaching on prayer, <clears throat> says, after forgive us of our sins, as we've forgiven those who are indebted to us, in Luke 11, verse four, says, and lead us not into temptation. The, the fragment of this that we have in the book of Mark adds, and deliver us from evil. And there's a few different nuanced um, reasons why those read differently. We don't have time, but either way, the gist of the statement is the same. He's saying, God, don't lead us into temptation. <clears throat> this word temptation can be really defined one of two different ways. So one way you can look at God not leading us into temptation is that God do not lead us into trials. Um, opportunities for our faith to be tested beyond what we can overcome. Protect us from those areas of life that can crush us. So think about just trials in your life that could come up, you know. Um, we talked about this, right? Finances, family, relationships, kids, 
being a bedwetter beyond the age that that's socially acceptable, like whatever. Like what are those trials that are out there? So God, don't, don't lead us into trials that are gonna destroy us. That's one way to define this idea of temptation. The other way that we define it is the more traditional way that in, in the English language we would think about temptation. Um, either internal or external opportunities for us to stray outside the word of God that lead to destruction, right? Temptations that would cause us to sin, um, stealing, lust, anger, um, <clears throat> lying, like, I mean, just the basic list of those temptations for us to say, you know, God, I know you said that this is the way to do it. I might have a better way. So Jesus is saying, hey, pray that God leads us away from those and leads us through those opportunities of trials. Pray that he does not allow the trials and temptations to crush our souls and defeat us. It's okay to pray that. We should pray that. In the space of a trial, that's really the best thing that we can do is go to God and say, please deliver us. Please deliver us from evil. And again, when we're in that space, that's such a hard prayer to pray because the question that we silently ask is, God, can I trust you? Will you lead me out of temptation? Where will you lead me? How will you lead me? How do I know that this is gonna work? And so to do that, we wanna see a little bit more about who God says he is. And this is where we're gonna jump over into John because Jesus talks about how he leads. That's the question we ask, right, is can I trust you? It's a question we're born asking, can I trust you? And so Jesus is going to answer that question is, can he be trusted in Luke chapter 10? I'm sorry, in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, so a little bit of background of what just happened, because this is actually important. In John chapter 9, Jesus comes across a guy who was born blind and he heals him. The reason that was problematic for the religious officials of the day is that he did it on the Sabbath. And the Mosaic law had been interpreted at this point in, in history that if you did anything on the Sabbath, you were in sin. And so for Jesus to be healing on a day that was supposed to be reserved for rest was blasphemous to the religious officials of the day. They had an issue with that. And so as Jesus heals this guy, they begin to argue with him. And they say, who are you to do this? And he basically says, well, I'm the son of God and this is why I do this. And so like a lot of points in Jesus's ministry, there was a massive controversy around who he was and whether or not he was good. And so really this good shepherd discourse is what it's called is Jesus's response to why he is healing and who he is. He's answering the questions that we're asking. God, are you good? God, will you take care of me? God, are you trustworthy? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So let's give a little bit of flesh to the picture that he's painting. A sheepfold would basically be a communal pen that everyone would keep their sheep in, in rural Galilee, Judea, really anywhere in the Middle East. And so what would happen is you would kind of have this stone pen set up and all of the sheep would go in there at night for various reasons that they needed to be protected of. There's wildlife that's out there hunting them. There are thieves who wanted to steal the sheep to sell them, eat them, whatever. But you would have this space where the sheep would be safe so that the shepherd could come and get them in the morning. 
And Jesus is saying, I am like that shepherd. This was really consistent, powerful imagery at the time because shepherding sheep was just a consistent part of life for the people that he was teaching. They understood what that meant. They naturally had an understanding of how sheep worked. This isn't the first time that God uses this image with his people. In Psalm 23, it's a very famous psalm, talks about how the Lord is our shepherd, how God leads us to life. How God leads us to life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lead the sheep to life. So here's how he does it. Can I trust you? Here's the ways that he's saying. Look at what this says. It's really fascinating. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before him and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So as we're asking these questions, God, how do you lead? How do we know that we can trust you? How are you leading us? One of the primary ways, the first example that Jesus gives as to how we know the good shepherd is we know him by his voice. Jesus leads by his voice. When you read how shepherds would do this, and these stories are kind of crazy for somebody who grew up in the city. Um, but basically the sheep knew who was taking care of them. So when a shepherd would walk into the sheepfold, they didn't have to brand the sheep. They literally knew the voice of the shepherd and the shepherd knew which sheep were his. There was this intimate knowledge and understanding between the animals and the shepherd. And Jesus is saying in the same way, there's an intimate knowledge and understanding of me as the good shepherd and my people. I know them and they know me. They know who I am and they know what that means. So when my sheep hear my voice, they follow me. God leads us with his word, okay? God leads us with his word. Jesus doesn't say I'm like a good shepherd who goes in with a lasso and like ties up the sheep and throws them over my back and forces them to go with me. That's not what he says. He doesn't actually have to do that because the sheep understand that his voice is the voice they should follow. So when we're Christians, and we understand who Jesus is, and we think about, should I follow him? Can I trust him? How do I know where he's leading me? We can rely on his voice. So how do we do that? Because maybe we don't hear God talk. Our life would be easier if he would just kind of come down um, like Obi-Wan in Star Wars and like he's glowing. He's like, hey, listen, I need you to take this job because if you're gonna do that, then the housing market's gonna rebound and you're gonna make a lot of money and your family's gonna be like, that would be great. But, but he doesn't do that at least not often. And so how do we know his voice? There's, there's two ways that scripture says that we hear and know the voice of the Lord. It's his word and his spirit, okay? So what is the word of God? We believe that scripture is the word of God. We believe that this is more than a history book, that it's inspired, that God speaks through it, that it has an authority over our lives because this is a reflection of the truth of who God is. And so as Christians, when we talk about reading our Bible, the reason that we wanna do that is not so we can know a lot of information. It's not so we can win arguments. It's not so we can check the box and look good in church. It's so that we can soak in the voice in the word of the Lord because scripture reminds us of who God is. It teaches us who he is and what that means for us. Here's the second thing that happens when we hear his word is we follow him. So when we're believers and we're in these times of crisis, we don't always know what to do, but here's what we do know, that it's safe to obey Jesus. And there's times that maybe we don't know what obedience looks like in that moment, but we know what obedience always looks like. We know those black and white commandments that God has says, if you live this way, it will go better for you. If you love me more than anyone else, 
if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you're generous, if you're kind, if you're loving and patient, if we hold those commandments, we are headed a good place because God's word is a safe lead. Here's the second way he does it. It's his spirit. So as believers, we believe that God has given us a gift. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, indwells us and convicts us and leads us and moves us. And I know this one's scary, right? Like, I'm going to be honest. I tend to be skeptical when people say, God told me. Because I'm like, you know, a lot of people have said that. Um, Like, God told me to go on the Crusades and retake the Holy Land. Are you sure? God told me the Inquisition was a good idea, right? Like, um... God's told a lot of people a lot of things, and the fruits of a lot of those claims have not lined up with Scripture. We could do more recent ones, but I'm, I don't feel good, and I don't have time for those emails, and so we're not. But I'll lead you to just decide what more recent ones might have been, okay? And so when you look at history, it is littered with bodies that have been crushed by the bus of God told me. And it makes us kind of skeptical. But here's the reality. Even our bad experiences and our skepticism and abusive people do not overrule the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. He's given us his spirit. If we know Jesus, we know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of someone else when we're discerning it, right? And so God will give us a spirit that leads us to life. He will speak to us with his word. Unfortunately, sometimes that speech is conviction of sin and and not empowerment of our baser desires. And so sometimes we don't like that, but God will speak to us through his spirit. He will. He will. So we can pray, God, don't lead me to temptation and trust that he'll actually show up and lead us. Now, here's, here's the problem. We don't know how. We don't, this is my, maybe this is my problem. Some of you guys are like, why is that a problem? It's a problem for me because I need to know how. <laughs> right? Okay. So Jesus says, don't worry about how, worry about who. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and will follow me. He doesn't say where he's going to take them. He doesn't illuminate us on how he's going to protect them. He just says they'll know my voice and follow me because they know they can trust me. And so God's spirit is going to lead us to life and deliverance. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you how. And that's what I want answered. I want answered how. Like, God, I need to know how before I can trust you. God, can you let me know the plan? Because I might have a better idea. I might have some things you didn't think about, Lord. Like, did you, did you think about these three places that are going to make me uncomfortable if I do that? God, did you think about my provision? God, did you think about what people might think of me? God, did you think about what if this doesn't work? Like, I have some ideas, Lord. And Jesus says the sheep don't need to make the plans. They just need to follow the shepherd. And I am the good shepherd. So we can confidently pray, God, deliver me from this because I know that you're good. I know that you lead your sheep with your voice and I trust that I will hear it. Because when we know him, we hear his voice. His word and his spirit still speak to us today. God is not dead. He is not absent. He is not removed. He is intimately close to us and working in our lives. When we ask, he will speak to us. And even as I was prepping to preach this, to be honest with you, I'm like nervous to say that because I'm like, what if he doesn't? And then people are going to be like, Pastor lied. And I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't know how. This, I would love to be able to give you the how. Logically, let me walk you through how he's going to do that. If you just alliterate this idea and do these three things and pray this and buy my book, then you'll know how God is going to deliver you. Is that that might have been a cheap shot. Um, <laughs> but listen, God will lead you with his word. This is not out of any expertise I have. This is not out of anything that I dreamed up or a system that I found. This is just what God's word says. And we trust that it's true and it's good. It's good. 
Jesus is our shepherd. It is safe for us to pray that he delivers us from those areas of life that hurt and are crushing us and pressing in on us. It is good. It is safe. He's going to lead us with his word. Here's how else he leads us. Let's keep reading here. They didn't get it, right? He's trying to explain to them. Hey, I'm the good shepherd. You know Psalm 23? Like, that's me. I'm going to lead you to green pastures. I'm going to lead you to life and healing. Like, that's me. That's me. I'm God. That's the book of John. By the way, that's the theme. The book of John, the author of this gospel, wants us to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That is his point. If you get nothing else from his book, he would say, I want you to understand that Jesus is saying all of those prophecies, all of those promises, all of those needs of God's people, I am the fulfillment of that. Jesus Christ is a son of God who came to save God's people from their sins. That's him. That's the book of John. So they're still not getting it. Jesus says, let me try this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He leads us with his protection. And this one's hard. He's like, he didn't protect me from suffering. He didn't protect me from pain. He didn't protect me from my life not going the way I planned it. How is God protecting me? How is he protecting me? Well, let's, let's look. Let's look at what the door accomplished. The door really did two things. It kept bad people out and it kept good people on the right path. He says there's two people that want access to the sheep. There's the shepherd that wants to care for them, and then there's the thief and the robber that wants to destroy the sheep and use them for his own means. He said those are the two people, okay? There's two groups. The door keeps the bad ones out and lets the good ones in. So how is Jesus protecting us? Listen, again, what does Scripture say? It does not promise us a life free of suffering. It says we live in a sinful, broken world, and until Jesus comes back the next time to perfect everything for eternity, we are going to experience brokenness and pain. Some of it's because of our sins, some of it's because other people's sins, some of it is because of the sin nature that has broken everything that we live in, okay? But he does protect us. What does he protect us from? He protects us from people that want to destroy us. This is why when we read that, don't lead us into temptation. It's don't let us be overcome and crushed by temptation, right? I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. You guys remember the camp song? Okay, it actually comes from scripture. And so we know that we will be afflicted in this life, but we know we won't be overcome by it. How do we know that? Because Jesus protects us from being destroyed. He protects us from false doctrine and fake saviors and false idols. I want you to think about this. So one of, um, I have an undergrad in biblical studies and then I am um, halfway through a THM. I'm on an eight year break right now. It's a, it's a unique track. Um, it's called a Tommy Boy track. A lot of people school, went to school for 12 years, right? They're called doctors. Um, so, so I know very little about finance, but it's fascinating to me because I want to be a good steward of what God's given me. And so I got into finance. And there's a guy that I really like that has a podcast named Josh Brown. Um, He's called the reform broker. I thought that was a theological statement. It wasn't. He just, anyways, he said something that was really, really good when he was talking to somebody about some questionable practices in the financial industry. He says, here's the question you always ask, who gets paid and how? Who gets paid and how? He said, if you can answer that question, you'll understand if you can trust this person. So let's apply that to what Jesus is saying about the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Who gets paid and how? When you're being offered a paradigm of salvation or a hope outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ, here's my question, who gets paid and how? Because that's how false idols work. They lure us in with these promises, but at the end of the day, 
what's happening is you are the product they want to consume. Okay? That's the way Satan works. That's how evil operates. It makes this fake salvation look really good, and it's almost true. And at the last minute, you find out that you are the sheep that's being devoured. And man, he makes it look so good in so many different ways, right? Like there's this false idol of religious performance. If I can just be good enough, if I can just pray enough, if I can just act perfect enough. We can't. That's why we need Jesus. That's, that's fake. That's fake. Who, who, who is benefiting you when you're on this hamster wheel of performance? You're not being benefited spiritually by that. Who is benefiting you on this hamster wheel of achievement and material collection? It's not you, right? Like you can just keep buying stuff and it just, it, it, it eventually the newness of that fades. Like, I mean, everybody has that, that image in their head. If I just made it here, then I would be fine. If that was true, there would be no divorces in Hollywood, right? Like these people are insanely fake attractive, right? Um, through various unnatural, you know, surgeries and like, what's Tom Cruise doing? Like he's the only one in Top Gun 2 that didn't age. Everyone else looks their appropriate. He looks the same. That's not normal. Like I'm not saying I'm not jealous, but like that doesn't happen in nature. Do you understand what I'm saying? So listen, if money and wealth and good looks and a lot of sex would fix all of your problems, then Hollywood would be a utopia. It turns out it's a mess because there's still sin. One of the protections that Jesus has given us is the truth of the gospel because it keeps all of the fake saviors out of your life that want to chew you up and spit you out and consume you. The people that want to sell you things, you understand they just want your money, right? Well, but there's a small business, their mom and pop, okay, they're, they're fine. But like, just generally speaking, the spiritual climate around capitalism is not for your benefit. It is for someone else's benefit. That's how this system works. Now, are there benefits to capitalism? Yes, don't make this something that I'm not saying, but just let's see the reality of what we're dealing with. The way capitalism works is our greed is a check and balance on one another, right? Okay, you are the product. Be careful, it's a fine financial system, it's a poor savior. Our politics, are not salvific. You will not be saved by believing the appropriate political spectrum. And here's why. Let me get to just underneath all of the culture war stuff and let's boil it down to the logical argument both sides make. My perspective on how to run a country is more effective than yours. When you take everything else off, that is the bare logical reality of what they're saying. Here, here's the problem with that. There's no perfect way outside of Jesus Christ to do anything. There's just not. It doesn't matter who you are and what you believe, you're not perfect. False savior. Should we have good politics and health? Sure, absolutely, that's fine, that's fine. Don't make it your savior. It's not gonna lead you to life. It wasn't designed to do that, but, but evil would have you believe that it is. So politics, not a good savior. Think about all of the false saviors. Relationship, if I could just date somebody, if I could just date somebody, then my life would be easier. There is good in life and relationships, but they're not salvific because they're not salvific. If I just get my kid into that college, if I could just, like, again, we could do this all day, right? Um, but there are so many false saviors that Jesus protects us from. Here's the other way he protects us. He protects us by showing us the true way. He goes beyond just keeping the bad out. He takes us to the good. It says, I'm the door that take the sheep out to life. Only through the door of Jesus Christ do we find the life and hope and peace that God has promised us. And so actually, um, James, the brother of Jesus, when he died, when they martyred him, the question that got him killed was because this became very much a, a framework that people used when they talked about Christianity. The framework that got him killed was what is the door of Jesus? That was the question they asked him. 
And he explained the gospel. And they said, that's blasphemy. We're going to kill you. And so this idea of the door of Jesus in the first century was a fairly common way of speaking about the gospel and salvation. The door of Jesus is that Jesus is the only way to know God. Jesus is the only way to find salvation. Jesus is the only way to peace and hope in eternity. There is nothing else that is built to love you the way that God has. And the only way we access that is through salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. That's the message. That's the message. And Jesus protects us from any other message showing us where life can be found. What about people that aren't Christians? They can have fun, right? Yes, absolutely. There is a temporary nature of life and joy that can be found outside of Jesus Christ, but it's temporary, and it doesn't ever fill up the hole that sin's left in your heart. Scripture says Jesus is the only way to life and salvation. So when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the door. I keep the bad stuff out, and I keep you moving towards the good stuff. That's it. Nothing else. So so what does that mean? Because he goes on and talks a little bit more. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now that one, I mean, just to the other sheep, an overwhelming number of academic scholars would say he is referring to Gentiles, not that he's going to Pluto to save aliens, right? Like that's been posited out there, but just to like, who are those other sheep? It's, it's Gentiles, so us, right? And so let's look at what he says. He says that the difference between a good shepherd and a hired hand is the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He'll die for his sheep because he loves him. So the primary way that Jesus shepherds us is that he died. He died for us. How do I know that I can trust God? How do I know that I can trust Jesus to lead me to life? Because he died for us. He says the difference between the fake shepherd and the good shepherd is that the good shepherd will lay down his life when the sheep are in danger. And this is an obvious reference to the religious leaders of the day who were using God's people for their own wealth and enrichment and power. They were not leading these people towards life. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. As we seek to be a church that loves people well, we have to recognize that in in our country, we've had churches that have fallen into this trap. We have people and systems that have fallen into this trap. And sometimes churches hurt people. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to repent of that. And we need to seek to be a church who does not fall into that trap of being lured by the fake salvation of power and influence and wealth. We need to be careful that we are modeling how Jesus is being a good shepherd because it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. But the main point of this, that's important, but that's not the main point. The main point of this is that a shepherd who loves his sheep will die for the sheep. When there's danger, the shepherd gets in between danger and his flock. Why? Because he loves them. Because he loves his flock. And because he loves his flock, he will do anything and everything to make sure they have life. Jesus says, I'm the only one that's done that. There is no one else who has died for you. There is no one else who has faced danger for you because he loves you. Jesus led us with his death. So when we celebrate communion, we are celebrating that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and made new and have an eternal hope, Jesus died to lead us to life. That's it. That's the message. Jesus died to lead us to life. And so when we're in those spaces, 
when we don't know what to do, when we're like, God, I am praying like my life depends on it because I literally have nothing else. We can be confident that we have a good shepherd that hears us and will deliver us. And in that space where we don't know the how, we can trust the who. We can trust the who of who God is because he is good, because he died on the cross and because he loves us. And so we're gonna wrestle with this. This is a tension that we find ourselves having to deal with and it's not easy. And it stresses us out and it hurts and it makes us look at everything and, and it puts us in a place of extreme uncertainty. And in those spaces, we have this opportunity as a people to wrestle well with that. Um, whether it's engaging trauma-informed ministry where we learn how to sit with people asking those questions, where we learn how to love people that are hurting well, where we are people who show up for each other, where, where we're people that hold each other up, where, where we can't hold ourselves up anymore. We're a church that helps fight for people's hearts. We support each other while we pray like our lives depend on it, right? For some of us, it's, it's leaning into this and actually asking God to deliver us. You can do that. It's safe. He's good. He will talk to you. He'll cut through your cynicism and your bad experiences and your doubt. He'll do that because he's a good shepherd. He leads us to life. He's going to protect you from all of the thievery in the world that's grabbing at you, wanting to offer you the false promises of an easy salvation that ends with somebody else getting paid. Because he's a good shepherd, Jesus leads us to life. Let's be a people that continue to pray like our lives depend on it. Trust and belief that God is going to show up and love us well. As the team comes um, and gets ready to lead us in worship, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you deliver us when we're hurting. You deliver us in times of trial and fear. God, help us be a people that continue to pray this prayer of delivering us from evil, of not leading us into trials and temptation that'll overcome us, but sustaining us in those places where we are doubting and hurting and scared. God, let us pray like our lives depend on it because when our lives depend on it, you show up and you save us. So God, help us to worship you and love you and know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.